You know how I say what I want everyone's instinct to be is, hey, what does the Bible say about that? I have a really stark example in my own life I want to share with you, but we will start where everyone's minds is, and that is vaccine mandates. We'll start there on the Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Coming to you from an 81-degree house here in Easley, South Carolina, in the upstate, because something is terribly wrong with my air conditioner. I shared that with you very literally for this reason. The few times I've ever used the air, my show, to air grievances, see what I did there, about my house, you guys have always reached out and hooked me up with like a service provider or something who uh, wanted to do a do a guy a solid uh, in some way and hook me up. So, hey, I need an air conditioner uh, guy. Anybody? Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Actually, a friend of the show, friend of mine personally, David, when I bought a house in 2009, I was filling in for Dr. Tony Beam on WHRT. Back then would have been WLFJ. I mentioned I bought a house. You know, now I'm getting all the appliances for it. And his parents just hooked me up with a washer and dryer. It was just, oh, well, okay, cool. I, I tell you this, guys, for your own lives, I can't suggest highly enough having a radio show. It just opens up some things, and it's uh, it's been a great investment for me. My name is Corey Truax, host of The Corey Truax Show right here on WHRT, and wherever you find podcasts, I'm grateful that you listen and share the show with others. Amongst many other things, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville at, on Sunday mornings at 1030, and we would love to have you any given Sunday morning. Uh, in the month of November... I will be up and continuing my Gospel of Mark series, but you are invited out any given Sunday. You know, I, me- I mentioned there the uh, the podcast. The, you can find the show wh- wherever you find podcasts. Because I don't know what I did to our internet overlords. And by the way, I don't think I did anything. I think it's just an algorithm change. Because I'm not a big enough deal to be affected by algorithms, probably at least. But guys, I was consistently getting back up there towards 2,500, 2,600, reaching towards 3,000 streams per show. The last two episodes, around 500. I don't know where everybody went, but please come back. It's very sad. Uh, It's also a good test of my own heart about where you find identity, because my mood was affected seeing the numbers drop. Oh, and also, something happened out on Instagram for me, where usually, you know, an Instagram story will get... 400 and some odd views. They're down to like 90 and 100. And I don't know what I did. I I don't want to believe the conspiracies. It's that because I've been talking more about vaccine stuff and COVID that I'm being throttled. Uh, throttling mean to pull back on my, uh, on my reach. But something's going on and I have no evidence. So I will not theorize, but it's, it's just an uncomfortable thing. So those of you who are here and you're listening and you're following along, thank you. I know where everyone's mind is because I listen to people at church and at work and I monitor social media. So I know where the collective American mind tends to be right now is around vaccine mandates, especially for those of you that work for some place that has more than 100 employees, which is like 80 million Americans. And while I have a lot of stuff I want to do that's more my speed today, I've been getting into the Proverbs more. I want to talk about that today. Uh, I want to talk about this. There's a a controversy right now about whether or not empathy, get that word, empathy is a sin. I want to get into all of that today. But I know where your minds are, and it's a little bit where my mind is, and so I want to get into this vaccine mandate thing. 
with one quick, or maybe two quick uh, not caveats or uh, introductory thoughts. One is, from a Christian worldview perspective, I look at this act by an executive, by the president, and as I will explain in a moment, it's clearly illegal. It is an unlawful act. He does not have the authority to do what he's done. And so I, I go to the biblical worldview concept of uh, maybe go to Proverbs and think about the unbalanced scales, that the, the Lord doesn't like unbalanced scales. He opposes those who do things unjustly. And he ordains authority to do that which is in its powers and not to come out of its boundaries. He, th- this order leaves the biblical view of governance and government. It is sinful. It's unlawful. And so it affects the biblical worldview. Second other caveat before we start is I'm making no statement about vaccines, about what you should do. I, I, I am utterly unpersuaded. And now that I've done some work and consumed some, uh, let's go with resources from different perspectives, I am unpersuaded that vaccines will hurt you. I don't believe that. I don't think there's enough evidence for me to conclude it. I also don't conclude that COVID will hurt you much. I think it could maybe overwhelm our medical systems if it's not in some way managed, but I'm just unpersuaded that either one is a much uh, d- much danger to you unless you fit into very specific categories. And that's coming from a guy who is seeing from people somewhat close around him suffer from it. You'd be hospitalized by it. So I'm not making any statement about what you should do. You should make that call. I got no judgment one way or the other. I would just challenge you to always be going to Scripture for... In, in your uh, in your decision making, as your first instinct, so I'm not making any statements about that. So that's the two things to start. And now here we go. I said what I said a minute ago. This is illegal. This is law breaking. And I will admit my temper flared when I heard the order. I didn't know it happened the day of. I heard it the next morning and heard reaction to it. And I tend to have an instinct that says whatever, however, however much everyone's reacting probably divide that by like 10 and that's what the reaction should be because the internet is atrocious and toxic and people overreact and they scream and yell and it's just a terrible environment so whatever the president is doing it's probably bad but not nearly as bad as what everyone's making it seem and then I heard the audio of a leader of the country saying that if the go- if governors don't do what he wants he'll get them out of the way and went oh man if George W. Bush would have said that, heck, if the previous president would have said it, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth at such a statement. And I will admit, maybe my own fleshly temper to hear a, a governmental leader say something like, my patience is wearing thin. I, I, I'll admit, I, I did not have a great word in my head that would go something like, uh, I don't care about your patience. I couldn't possibly care less about your patience. Do something else with your time and your efforts. Your patience means nothing to me. And maybe that's fleshly, and I should not feel great about that. So I will admit my own anger, but now let's come out of the emotion of it and do the denotative, dispassionate analysis. It is clearly illegal. It will be challenged in several ways, and I believe the whole order will never come to pass. I don't even think the administration wants it to come to pass. I think they were making a a political calculation to change the subject off the news cycle. But I can't prove that either, so let's just, again, do the the dispassionate analysis. 
number one, this does not pass what is called the arbitrary and capricious standard. These guys, these jokers, have to go to court and actually establish that the number should be 100. That they have some kind of scientific, data-driven reason that an executive branch office can just go to businesses and say, 100, that's the number. Not 95, not 105, not 90, not 110. 100, and that's going to be the, uh, the, the, the actionable number that we can actually get a hold on a public health issue. They have to go to court and prove that. Do you think they have the data for that? No, they don't. It'll be overturned just because it's arbitrary and capricious. They made it up with no data. They're going to get overturned because there's no clarity on enforcement or authority mechanism. There's not, there's, I heard on NPR this morning, the, obviously not this morning from when you're listening, but this morning when I'm recording, several trade groups come out and say, you know, we like this order, we think it's good, but we have no idea how it works. Do we pay for the tests? Do you pay for the vaccines? How does, how does this actually get enforced? And I don't think OSHA is going to even respond with any kind of, any kind of clarity because the point isn't to enforce it. The point was political in nature. Many employers can't enforce it. They don't have the resources or the money or the infrastructure to test people regularly if they aren't being vac- vaccinated. They're obviously not having to pay for a vaccine, but employers can't enforce this with any kind of, any kind of efficacy. What are you going to ask them to do? Get medical documents from somebody that they've had a, had a vaccine? We're, we're already hearing some rumblings, small, but some rumblings, of strikes and worker shortages, labor, labor strikes. You, you, we already have supply chain issues right now and trying to get plast- plastics and metals for all the materials for all the stuff we always buy. You want to start shutting down factories and manufacturing, and for that matter, retail spaces with people walking off the job? Employers can't and often won't in- enforce it. And it, it then is maybe most importantly, so it's, it's arbitrary and capricious. There's no clarity or information about enforcement. And it's absolutely unprecedented. No one has even tried to do something this authoritarian and totalitarian from the executive branch, despite the fact that you're seeing on social media and you'll have some snarky person who hasn't actually read anything tell you, the Supreme Court's already upheld vaccine mandates. Oh, have they? Yeah, not like this one. They're often talking about one case where it was totally about schools. And so the, the case was, you have if you want to interact with a government school... You have to have these particular vaccines. Can you see the difference? It's saying to citizens, if you want to use this government service, you must have these vaccines. That's not what this is. This is saying if you want to go to work where you go to work, not interact with the government, not interact with any government service at all. You can want nothing to do with the government, but the government's coming after you to regulate you. Very distinct from that Supreme Court case. That Supreme Court case was about citizens interacting with their government. This is an, uh, an edict about a person interacting with their employer. There is no power in the executive branch to do that whatsoever. The second part there, why it's different, is because those vaccines, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, affected children in such drastic ways. There actually is public health data to establish that the vaccine requirement in this case has a, it, it meets the standard of imposing on people's liberty because it was affecting kids in that way. You want to roll COVID data up against mumps, measles, and polio data when it comes to elementary school kids? Guys, we just had a young man come, come through Beachwood. He's one of the smartest young dudes, incredible memory. 
He had COVID. I heard from his parents. He was sluggish. That's what he was for a few days, and he got back to normal. It is in since the beginning of this pandemic for, what is it, 20 months now? Fewer than 400 American children have died. That's a point zero zero something percent of the entire population of all of our kids under 12. That's not measles, mumps, rubella. So it's, it would be overturned for that for that reason. That Supreme Court case you're talking about has nothing to do from with what was issued from the executive branch. And then there's another case, I think it's called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where it's getting shared on social so much, it's getting on my nerves. The argument is that this, this case had that uh, a city in Massachusetts, Cambridge, could require the smallpox, smallpox vaccine for its residents. And it is true. The Supreme Court upheld it. They upheld a city's right to require a vaccine for its residents. And that has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. That was a locality. And maybe through that opinion, that I actually went and found and read the relevant part from the Supreme Court, maybe a state, through a legislative action, could affect the citizen. So the state or locality could require something of a resident in the state or locality. By an act of, very important, by an act of the legislature, all of them voting together. None of that applies here. One executive edict from the top, not just declaring citizens or residents of a given place, but as a matter of employment, getting in between the employer and the employee. To be clear, there is no constitutional basis for this. And I'll say it one more time, I think they know that. They issued an eviction moratorium knowing it would be overturned because they just want to make statements because we have a politics of emotion. We have, an, we have a politics of feelings to do things to make people feel certain ways about, your, about themselves and then get other people to feel those same things about themselves. So I know that's what's been on your mind. I am confident as this works through the courts, it will be overturned. It must be. And I'm confident that it will be now that I put that out there. So stridently i've called my shot we will monitor the news and see if i'm right when we come back from the break we'll get back to more of my speed i've been working through a lot of the proverbs lately i want to talk to you about that and some things i saw there plus a discussion inside the faith about whether or not empathy is a sin we'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's just one of many proverbs I've been dwelling on lately, and I want to tell you a little bit more about it. I think it will be useful for us all. Welcome back to the Court Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for being here. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there, and I hope that you will. I've been looking around at the world for a while now in some kind of befuddlement of just the level of madness where we are. You've probably heard that from me on the show. I talk about a darkened brain and the noetic effect of the fall. How our ability to reason has been diminishing over time. And I get discouraged by it. But granted, I'm a walking ball of sunshine, so I don't get discouraged much. But when you think about it, it's just uh, we seem dumber. 
Are people not interested in learning? I said many times that people are obsessed with amusement. A uh, meaning none, or to negate. Muse meaning to think. We're people of not thinking. And so in that vein, as I, I look at a problem, we're a very dumb people. Uh, we don't th think deeply. Well, if my instincts are working rightly, and I'm being made more in the image of Christ over time then my knee-jerk reaction would be his knee-jerk reaction, which I think would be, go to the Scriptures. And if we are looking for wisdom in the Scriptures for a long time, we would, we've known that goes to the Proverbs. If we're living in a dumb time and we want to see wisdom increase, where should we go? Let's go to the Proverbs. And as I've just worked through those slowly, because they, they are so compact, if you do it too fast, I think you can... Lose some of the effect. There's so much good in here. There's a reason we have been advising young men and women for so long to just read a proverb each day. There's 31 of them. Most months or half the months have 31 days. Read a proverb every day. There's so much in here about very practical things. Just being a good friend. Working hard. The value and satisfaction you'll get, and the good that comes out of being someone who isn't lazy. So much wisdom about deferring gratification. That if you will wait right now for this thing that you want, I know you want it right now, but if you'll wait, you'll get something better later. That if you'll be patient and consistent, better things come for those who wait. Some very practical things just like the, the nature of gossip, how, how poisonous it is that what comes out of our mouths is to tear people down. And you, if you think about the world we're in, some of these, thing, these themes of Proverbs, the wisdom we need would respond to so many of our problems. I talked, I've talked a lot about our, our real social problem of isolation. The quick rundown that you've heard on the show before, just things like how we spend our time in the backyard, not the front yard. We started building attached garages. That we, oh yeah, the, the number of fr friends someone on average says they have over the last 20 years has gone to like 1.5. People say they don't have many friends. The amount of time spent alone, even before quarantine ever hit, it's just higher than it's ever been. We, we've set up a world to be isolated. Oh yeah, I've given examples before about how it used to not be weird for someone to knock on your door. It was a neighbor asking for a cup of sugar, and now we all freak out and have security systems everywhere because we're terrified someone's going to knock on the door. Man, to be a good friend, to be hospitable, what a revolutionary thing in our world. And not just how to be a good friend to others, to be faithful to one another, to keep confidence in one another, but also what friends to avoid, knowing that if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. That there's safety in having an, a number of good friends for good counsel. So it's not just how to be a good friend, but then spurring you on. Hey, go and make those communities of friends. There's so much in the Proverbs about working hard. Here we are, and it's very entitled age. We've all railed against it. People don't want to work. They, they feel like they should be, uh, you know, at 20 years old, making what their parents were, are, are making right now. They don't want to go through the hard work of building a life. They just want to arrive at the end point right when they start. 
And here's the Proverbs, this ancient wisdom that all the good things come through time and hard work. Much like the, you know, the, the Proverbs a couple times will invoke the, the, the picture of the ant. That the ant just quietly goes about its consistent work. There's so much in the Proverbs about deferring gratification. Talk, talk about a word that our, our, our culture needs now. Our culture's ethic is get what you want right now. If you're not happy with a given relationship, job, church, experience, change it. You got you to gotta get what you got to get right now. Our, our financial ruin because of our impulse. I got to have this vacation right now. I got to have this car upgrade right now. We have to have this thing. We have to have this thing, this experience, this item. We have to have it now. I mean, I'll just give the example. We're living in a really crazy time right now in the housing market. A family that's just willing to be uncomfortable a little while longer. Maybe, maybe they need more house right now, but they're willing to wait four or five years to let the market ease out. They can save themselves a lot of money if they'll just defer gratification right now. You could think about our nation. We want the benefits we want right now. We want our free fill-in-the-blank benefit. And someone else down the road can pay for it with higher taxes or, or, or austerity measures. The, the ethic now of... Some, some of it's good, I guess, but the level of self-care that we talk about leads often to not having any kind of consistency because other people are, might be counting on us to be consistent, to be where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there. But if we get caught up in ourselves, you, I got to take care of me. There's a, a word from Proverbs that, no, be, be consistent. Keep your word. Your reputation is so much even better than, than gold. Have a good name. So be accountable. For that matter, what's a, a, a gossiping? Proverbs talks about more, gossiping more than I realize. Of course it tears apart friendships, but we have an entire culture of gossip. It's one of our entertainment me- me- mechanisms. We put famous people everywhere, and then we talk about them. We gossip about them as if, as if they matter. The Proverbs have so much to say to us. And I, I would challenge you, whatever audience I have left, <laughs> maybe to, to pick a month. Heck, start today. For 31 days, read a proverb a day. I promise you, you're wasting... I promise you, the few minutes it would take to read a proverb a day, you are wasting your time either on TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook, maybe Twitter, maybe YouTube. Switch out just a few minutes on those proverbs and then dwell on it. Dwell on that proverb. Pick out one or two verses. Think about what it means. You'll be better off. There's so much wisdom. There's so much darkness in this world. We respond to it with light. One of the sources of light is the illumination of knowledge. Now, in that vein, I, I came across one I wanted to share with you. When I grew up, I grew up on the King James Version. And I love the King James Version better than the ESV. I didn't even know that's what I was reading in the ESV. I came across Proverbs 23, and I guess in context it makes decent sense, but in Proverbs 23, there is... In the King James, you hear the verse, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so there's, there's this idea that, that, the thoughts that you the thoughts that you settle on, 
the, the things that you ruminate on, that you're constantly thinking about, you become those things. If you take it over to, e, to the ESV, it actually says this. He is like one who is inwardly calculating. All right. So it's one who's in, in, inwardly calculating. Because it, it's all connected to a bigger story. I, I grew up on the King James, but I also grew up thinking that verse was by itself. That verse was just, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But it's actually not. This is uh, the context. starts in verse 6. He writes, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he, the stingy man, is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The context of as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That someone might be saying on the outside, hey, eat and drink. But inside, that's who they really are. They, they might be saying eat and drink, but the inside, they're stingy. They're upset at you. They're bitter at you for taking from their supply. But it does feed back into the idea. The thing that's actually happening inside is who you are. What's in your mind may not always come out because some of us are some of us, I'm including myself, are very good actors. But the things in our mind is that's who, who who we really are. And you know, it's I don't think it's by accident that it's in the same in the same chapter where it says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Just a few verses down, I think it's nineteen. The scriptures say, oh, I guess I can just find that. Let me type it in here. Um, it is, my son, be wise and direct your heart in the way. If you think about that in our very um, uh, acute emotional health and mental health world, and I'm not mocking that necessarily. Don't hear me mocking it. It's, we've made some progress on that. Sometimes it's gone a little too far maybe, but uh, at least in the, in the cultural piece of it. But hear me say, in a, in a time where we, we tend to think our hearts, our feelings, are the center of everything. We can, I mean, we can just shut, up, we can shut everything down if we have the wrong feelings. If our feelings don't match what needs to happen, we'll shut, we, can shut, we can shut our lives down. But here in the same chapter that says, hey, who you are in your heart, that's who you really are. A few verses down says, son, be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Almost like you have control, some responsibility over how you feel and think. And you know that you do. You can decide what you're ruminating on, what your heart is focused on. Some of you, I will, I'll go ahead and I'm going to exempt myself from this part. Some of you have a media diet that is causing your anger, sadness, anxiety, and fear. You choose to go to media sources, and you end up getting angry from those media sources. You get sad, and, or you get, uh, you get scared. You know you don't have to. Because now you, you can direct your heart in the way, in, in the way of wisdom. Is it wise to continue going back to the sources that constantly upset you, make you sad, make you angry, make you fearful? Instead, you could spend some time in Scripture, spend some time in prayer, spend some time in conversation with somebody. You don't have to go back to the sources all the time. You can direct your own heart, and you actually have a responsibility to. 
you have, sir or madam, thoughts that you wish you didn't have? Maybe some lustful thoughts that pop in pop into your head. Hey, what are you? What media are you consuming all the time? What's your standard for what you're willing to watch? And the lyrics you're willing to hear. Do you know you can direct your heart by, by the, the that verse there in, in the King James says. As a man thinks, as a woman thinks in his heart or her heart, so is he. You know, you can determine what goes into your heart and head. You don't have to be the these things that you're being if they're not if they're not things you should be. Just by directing what comes in, direct your own heart. Your feelings, thoughts, reactions aren't just chemical. It's not just your background and environment. It is those things. It's not just your childhood. It is those things, not just those things. You're you actually can have. You can be in charge and start directing your own heart and how you respond to the world. Sir, madam, you know you have some kind of unhealthy coping mechanism. For some of you, it's a substance. It's just drinking a little more than you know you should. It's shutting down. It's just allowing yourself to stay in bed out of stress for longer than you need to be. Some of you, it's binging out either on an entertainment or food. You know, you can direct your heart. That the, the Lord is there with us, the Holy Spirit, with accountability from friends. We, we already brought that up in, in Proverbs. There's so much wisdom here. Yes, as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, that's who they really are. But how does what your heart becomes, how does it happen? Well, you have some control over that. In the theology world, we call it synergistics. There's a, syner there's a synergy. The Lord is doing a good work in you to make him more in his image. And you do work with your own discipline. Both things are true. To pursue the Lord. To walk away from the things that cause you to continually fall back into old patterns. And that's all I'm calling you to today. There's so much good in those Proverbs. I encourage you, grab, grab your Bible, grab the app, let it be read to you by one of those cool apps, or man, just grab it yourself and give it a read. And you will find a lot of wisdom for yourself in friendship and working hard and deferring gratification, being patient, being consistent. And maybe even some wisdom here on what we're letting into our hearts. Because what we're letting into our hearts is making us who we are. And instead of letting things into our hearts so passively all the time, may we be a people that direct our hearts and say to our wicked hearts, oh, no, no, no. I know what you want. Instead, we're doing this. I know what you want to watch. Instead, we're doing this. I know what app you want to open, but instead we're doing this. I know who you want to text or message, and you shouldn't. You know you shouldn't. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I feel like the Holy Spirit saying I'm talking to somebody. You know who you need to stop talking to constantly. Stop it. And instead, I'm going to direct my heart this other way. Because you are not a victim of your feelings. You're not a victim of your, of your thoughts. You're not a victim of, of your heart. You run that show. I know that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. This is, again, why we need each other for accountability. And it is why we all need the Holy Spirit. We all have our weaknesses, but where we are weak, he is strong. That's all I'm saying. Grab a proverb. You will not regret it.
When we come back, there is a there's a debate, really, in Christianity amongst people I like. Well, amongst people I agree with, generally. And on one side, people saying empathy is a sin, and the other side saying empathy is not a sin. And I can't believe we're having the discussion, but I guess we have to have it. So we will have it when you come back for the rest of the Court Rec show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Is empathy a sin? I am just as off-put by that question as you are, but there's really a debate about it, and I want to introduce you to it in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Churak Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. I come across a, a ton of a ton of Bible media, I listen to a lot of sermons. My YouTube queue, or not my queue, like, but what YouTube thinks I want to watch tends to be, well... Dallas Cowboys stuff, and then theology. It makes it thinks I want to watch that NFL and theology. And there's some very popular YouTube figures uh, that are uh, well Christian figures on YouTube that it, it blows me away because I agree with them theologically on, I guess everything, and they know a lot more than me, and I I am just so turned off by their personalities. And some of you love these people, so forgive me. But I'm talking about guys like Doug Wilson. He's a pastor out, I don't know, in Idaho, Wyoming, somewhere in the West. James White, who's in Phoenix. Uh, the red-headed, bearded guy who hangs out with James White from Apologia. I don't remember his name. And I, I, These are brothers, obviously. We're going to spend eternity together. They're just... like I, I think I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a walking ball of sunshine. And I just feel like they're rain clouds. That's just their demeanor. Their demeanor is just dour... And some, it's way overly aggressive for me. And so I come across their videos, and one of my great friends at work recently just really got into one of these guys. And so there's this, there's a discussion. I started looking around, and I found a video where these types of folks that I, I agree with theologically, but I have some issues with uh, in terms of style, there was a video called The Sin of Empathy. And I went, you people, gosh, like, you're going to hit on empathy? I thought we would agree on this. Like, I understand you tend to be unfeeling. I tend to be unfeeling, too. But to call empathy a sin? And then I got to practice what I preach. Because I admit my knee-jerk reaction was, Are you kidding me? Seriously? But what have I been saying to you? What have I been saying to our Beachwood people? I want us to be a people whose gut reaction is, oh, I wonder what the Bible says. I understand my feelings were just, man, I don't like that. I don't like the, I don't like the way that sounds at all. I don't think I'm going to enjoy this even a little. And my secondary reaction, it took a full like six or seven seconds, was, oh, wait, wait, wait. I wonder what the Bible says about this. I guess I should probably check because my feelings don't actually matter about empathy. So I am going to play for you some audio from that video with a guy named Doug Wilson, and I think his name is Joe Rigney, someone associated, and they're talking about empathy uh, and whether or not it's a sin. One of the things we have to do here is get a definition, because you might hear empathy and say, okay, well, the Bible does say mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Empathy means to feel with, to feel what someone else is feeling. So it is, of course, good. And, of course, we live in a culture where empathy is a virtue. 
the idea of feeling the emotion someone else someone else feels, just being emotional, is a social good. It's a virtuous thing. But just because our culture says so, and just because my that's my reaction, I'll admit my my instinct, my instinct is a good person will, and a faithful person, a Jesus following person will feel with others the things that they are feeling to be a a compassionate person. But I might have my categories all mixed up. So I want to hear this. I want you to hear this audio. We'll talk about some of the controversy. Uh, the first voice you're going to hear here is Joe Rigney as they're trying to get a definition of empathy for purposes of theology. This happens a lot, say, in marriage counseling, right? So you get uh, husbands and wives who are, who are missing each other um, or, or, a, or a husband or a wife um, who's having problems with other people outside the marriage, okay? So a conflict right. with a friend. And they start describing the situation. This is what was happening. This is what they did. They gave me the stink eye. They, she, she did this. She said that. Um, but she looked at me this way. Um, and if you start to say, but did she really? Like if you just ask the clarifying question, are you sure? Or, or was there maybe more to it than misunderstanding. that? Was it maybe a misunderstanding? Maybe it wasn't malicious. Um, empathy is going to say, you can't do that because you just need to, you need to hear them out. You need to listen. You need to identify. You need to join them. Whereas sympathy says, if they actually were being rotten to you, if they were being cruel or, or whatever, um, I want to I wanna be with you in that. I want to join you in that, in that suffering. But I want to make sure that it was actually suffering. And not well, when you say it that way, that's totally reasonable. I'm, I can't argue with that. So, so his distinction here is to empathize is just to take on its face what someone is expressing and feeling, affirming it, saying that's, that's good that you feel that way, I'm going to feel it with you, but that the good thing, the better thing, will be something maybe called compassionate, not to feel with, but to feel for. Come past, compa- compassionate, is alongside, not not doing the same thing. Empathy is to feel what you feel. Compassion is to feel for what you're feeling. His distinction here is, well, maybe your feelings are wrong. Maybe you shouldn't feel the way you feel. Or, if you extrapolate this, maybe you should feel this way. Maybe you've caused it. You've made your own mess. There's consequences to the mess you've made, and I feel for you. I hate it for you. That 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 you've made this mess. But I'm not going to come in and feel the, sor- the sorrow with you because this is a natural consequence of your actions. And so maybe, especially if the feeling you're having is, this is not right, this is unjust. Well, maybe it is. So I don't feel it with you, but I feel for you. And if that's what they're saying, I can get on board. But to call it a sin, though, ah, maybe that's a step too far. Let's continue listening to Joe Rigney and Doug Wilson. Not a misunderstanding. So empathy, uh, if I could run ahead of you, yeah. empathy is the means, the conduit by which relativism is pouring into counseling. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way to put it. So it, because, um, because the question of what really happened is um, made secondary to the emotional f- state of the person in question. Right? So that becomes the end-all, be-all of everything. And any, any challenge to that is a threat. Um, and, and you can't, you, you're, not allowed to, you're not allowed to do that. So, yeah, the more they talk, the more I was agreeing with them. 
I found this to be the case too. There's there's something deep in the Western mind that must have their feelings affirmed. But feelings aren't the arbiters of truth. Objective reality is. And if, if objective reality, for example, hurts someone's feelings, I, well, I don't feel that with you. I'm going to an extreme here, just something going on in the culture, but you think of something like transgenderism. If it hurts your feelings... As you stand there with all male anatomy and want me to refer to you as a woman, and I don't, if it hurts your feelings, I don't feel that with you. You feel wrongly. Your feelings are outside of objective reality. So I'm not sorry. Now, I might feel for you because this is sad. It's a a really sad way to live. So I feel for you, but not feel with. And that's the distinction they're making. Now, They've gotten some pushback, obviously, because it sounds so mean. I mean, come on. That sentence sounds so mean. If you're being empathetic, you're being sinful. This is, again, what these guys, this tribe of people, most of them out west, they just come across mean. But just, just, fact, just the fact that I feel that they're mean, who cares? If they're, if they're right, then... Our feelings should comport themselves to that which is right and wrong. The response has been wide. Just as an example, there was uh, Columbia International University. I don't want to throw any shade at them, but there is uh, a a Christian university down in Columbia, South Carolina, who did a 20-minute video responding, saying basically this is almost psychopathic. Like you become uh, a feelingless well, sociopath or psychopath, whichever one means you don't feel for other people and therefore you can't be effective. It's not showing love. And I, I can get some of that because there's something in me that says, well, what about mourning with those who mourn? Weeping with those who weep. And maybe that distinction is, it's, it's like a both and, it's not an either or. So when someone is sad about objective reality when someone mourns objective reality because we live in a broken and sad world sometimes. An unjust world. And when it hasn't been... When, when, when the thing, when the event, when the injustice, when the tragedy hasn't happened directly to you, and it truly is a tragedy. It truly is an injustice. It's truly wrong what happened here. Well, then to feel empathy is good Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Because what they're weeping about, what they're mourning about, for that matter, celebrate with those who celebrate. If what they're celebrating is comporting itself to God's reality, the world that he made, the laws that he made, and natural law. And where someone is celebrating or weeping or mourning against objective reality... I don't feel with you. You know, there was a bookstore owner in Portland, Oregon. I saw about two weeks ago. He is overly rude, too aggressive for my taste, but that's what men in their 70s tend to do is start needless fights. Uh, At least some genre of them. And he put a sign in his business window that said, "If 
if you have a male body part that rhymes with chick, then you're not a chick. So he's obviously responding to the transgender stuff. And a person came in the store, was fussing at him, and I actually thought he, he responded in a way, maybe a little overly, overly aggressively, but the words that came out of his mouth, I don't, I don't know that they were the wrong words. He was saying, I don't care how you feel. I don't care. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, you're upset, you're angry, you're sobbing, you're hysterical. I don't actually care about those things. Your feelings don't change reality. Because this person was a, quote, transgender woman. He's a man. And so what we're saying is, no, you're a man. I'm, so I'm not going to feel with you in this. And this could go to lots of things, by the way. I just keep using that as an example. So maybe that's the distinction. I sort of want to referee this, 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 uh, this fight. Because the people involved, I tend, to, I tend to love them all. And my nature as peacemaker is to find the point of agreement. In a room with two people who don't agree, I am desperately searching for, what do you agree on? Where can we find it? Because that's a place to build. And so, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear from you. Show at gmail.com. Show at gmail.com. Or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Find me, Corey Truax. And you tell me, I mean, empathy being a sin still feels like one step too far as a, as a label. I take that word seriously. I take sin seriously. But I think they have me convinced in one way that if you are saying to somebody, um, I am sad that, I don't know, let's do something super dark here. I am crushed that the adulterous relationship I was in has ended. I'm heartbroken by it. I was, think of a single person who has almost wrecked a marriage in an adulterous relationship, and now that single person's out on their own, sad. Listen, I don't feel with you. I might feel for you, maybe. Just in that, you know, I've had my own heartbreaks or whatever, so I, like, I know this is not fun. But I don't feel with you. You've caused calamity in your house and in others. I don't feel with you. And the question just becomes, and if you do, if you affirm their feelings, that it's if you affirm their feelings of maybe this is not right and this is what it's not what should be, are you sinning? Are you affirming a sin? My answer is I don't know yet, but as I this is one of the dangers of doing what, what I do sometimes is I will decide to work through something live on the air. That's what I just did. I decided to live decide what I think about empathy being a sin or not. I think I've talked myself into it, dadgummit. But at the same time, I, I want to be with folks like me who before I heard the sentence 48 hours ago, the sin of empathy or the phrase, the sin of empathy, I want to also say, hey, there's some things to grab onto here where we do agree. Like, we, we want to be at least a compassionate people, feel for others, and then be discerning about how we affirm the feelings of others, and particularly how Joe Rig- Rigney said it there, that in discussion, we don't just say, your feelings are what determine what happened. We actually want to get to the core and ask, what did happen? Because your feelings might not match the facts, and so we need to get in there. You know, outside of the the theological question here. One of my favorite books of the last 10 years was called The Case Against Empathy. 
and it's this that's about political policy making, but it's a really important book. You have a lot of political leaders out there that try to use empathy as a manipulative tool. They try to make you feel things, be sad, feel a certain way, so that they can get what they want and they can do what they want to do. That is, of course, a terrible way to make policy. B- because it's, it's childish. It's childish to get sad or angry and then act out of the sadness and anger. Maybe I'll finish here with the illustration. When our children get into highly emotional states, they're not really operable. They're throwing a temper tantrum because they're angry. They shut down because they're sad. They won't move their bodies. You gotta you have to move the, you have to actually pick them up and force them. Our children get into highly emotional states, panic, fear, anger, sadness, and then we have to operate for them because their feelings have taken over. This is not appropriate for adults. It is not appropriate for the person who's grown up. Childhood has to end. And our feelings can't win forever. There is a case against some empathy here. Where, where we just say objective reality is, you're a grown person. Grow up. Your feelings don't get to run everything more, anymore. Your feelings don't comport themselves to reality. We're going to grow up. And, and move on into the world. And do what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it. Because that's how adulthood works. I would never say that to a child because they don't have the capacity yet. They don't know how the world works. They're still learning. But as we grow up, we can be sympathetic. I, I want us to be. I know it don't sound sympathetic in here, but I, I deeply want us to feel for each other in all of our afflictions. But there's a drawing a line here that when our feelings don't reflect reality, it would be the compassionate thing to call one another away from that and call ourselves to reality. I'll be back with another new edition of The Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.